I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Could you all join me by standing in honor of God's word this morning? Lord, bless you at the reading of your word. Hebrews eleven twenty one. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. And now one of Pastor's favorite passages, because it mentions his favorite sport. Do you know what he said the first service? Baseball. He said baseball. And everybody knows he loves boxing, right? (laughs) Jacob wrestling with God. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and as he was limping because of his hip, Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Isaiah forty-one fourteen. Do not be afraid, you worm, Jacob, little Israel. Do not fear, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Thank you, Jim, and y'all can have a seat. 
I wanted to mention too, if uh, you know, we haven't, we didn't uh, pass out any connection cards or anything like that. So we're just going to probably move into that next week or the week after that. But on the connection cards is always a prayer request. So I, I don't want to limit anybody from giving a prayer request. So if you have a prayer request that you want to let the church know about, and then we can pray about it in the prayer room like on Tuesdays and um, on Saturdays, just call the church office and, and Beth or Addie will write it down on one of those uh, connection cards and we'll pray about that, okay? Okay. So may the words of my mouth, Lord, and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. Our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Many of you have heard my testimony about when I came to the Lord. I came to the Lord in the early 70s, and in the late 60s, early 70s, I think I was born again in kind of a revival movement. If some of you my age can remember that time, some people call it the charismatic movement. Some people call it the Jesus people movement. But whatever it was, and I know some of the theology, whatever, but I tell you what, God was doing something during that time. And I got saved, and my brother got saved, and my whole family experienced revival. And I bet you a lot of you know what was going on during that time. And God was sweeping uh, in his grace, through the Holy Spirit, throughout all denominations, the Catholics, the Baptists, the Pentecostals, the Nazarenes, were experiencing revival and awakening during that time, as I look back. And to some degree, I feel, you know, I don't feel like everybody's dead now, but I, I feel like something is stirring. And I don't know if it's just wishful thinking or it's really happening. But I believe true revival and spiritual awakening is coming. And I think it will soon come to Fargo. I believe revival is coming. We could say burning hearts, burning churches. Uh, God the Father is getting ready to blow his spirit like a mighty rushing wind. And when he does, I believe Fargo will be set on fire for God, and things are going to change, and I think people are going to love Jesus like never before, and I believe the church is going to love one another like never before. I believe it's going to be a baptism of the Spirit, a baptism of fire and of love, of conviction and comfort, a return to the great commandments, loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving our neighbors as ourselves. I believe there's going to be a tremendous hunger, even more than now, for the word of God, large numbers of people will be coming to a true saving knowledge and experience of Jesus Christ. I believe there's going to be an overwhelming sense of God's presence and like a supernatural unity and love between denominations and races because of Jesus. And I think there's going to be a perfect marriage between love and truth. Love and truth. In fact, righteousness and peace are going to kiss each other. And there's going to be lots of joy. I think in thy presence is fullness of joy. And I think there's going to be more miracles. I think there's going to be wonders in the heavens, signs on the earth. Because the gospel is not just a logical presentation of truth. I'll tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is the power of God. And Paul said the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of talk. But of power, power to save, power to heal, power to deliver. And Jesus said, this gospel, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations. And then the end will come. 
And so remember what the early church prayed in Acts chapter 4? They said, stretch out your hand, Lord, to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And the Bible says after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. And I think, I think this is happening and it's going to happen. I was born again in the crucible of a spiritual awakening. And my heart was set on fire during that time and I have been burning ever since. Albeit sometimes my flame has flickered. I admit that. But something was going on and God was using that time. And I think... It's going to happen again. Words like repentance, words like restoration, words like refreshment come to mind. And God might be using, you know, the last eight weeks or whenever it was to ignite spiritual awakening because what is revival anyway? It's an increased awareness of, an experience of, and a hunger for more of God's presence and God's power and God's purity and God's passion that changes everything, beginning with us, beginning with individuals, and then families, and then cities, and churches, and communities and nations and the world you say hey what's the world coming to Dave I'll tell you what the world is coming to the world is coming to Jesus Christ can you say amen to that come on the world is coming to Jesus Christ and I tell you what God wants us in the right position as a church as individuals as families and what I mean by position is this it's taking our cold hearts right and placing ourselves positioning ourselves posturing ourselves Before the bonfire of his love, it's learning to lean on the Lord. It's learning to lean into the Lord. And God wants us to want him more than anything else. To desire him. To be desperate for him. To be hungry for God. Now Jim mentioned uh, this story that I really like in the Bible. That I think embodies this position of hunger. And desire and desperation and leaning on and leaning into the Lord. The story is, of course, Jacob wrestling with God. Uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible since that was my sport in uh, high school and college. Uh, the great sport of wrestling. You know, the oldest sport in the world, really. Anyway, Jacob wrestled with God. And it wasn't a man. It wasn't necessarily an angel. It was God that he was wrestling with. And after that wrestling match, Jacob called the place Peniel because he saw God face to face. And so I pray a Psalm 27, 8 prayer today. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. And who knows, maybe today, right where you're sitting, either here in this room or out in the foyer or upstairs or in your homes, in your living rooms, you might have a wrestling match with God today and you will learn to lean on God and lean into God And who knows, maybe God will change your name from Jacob to Israel. The name Jacob is translated crooked in Isaiah 40, verse 4. And the crooked will be made straight. Jacob means crooked, and the Jacob part of your life will be made straight. Because, you know what? Every one of us has a little bit of Jacob in us. Let me explain. Uh, Jacob learned to lean. Have you learned to lean on God Way back to the original uh, um, passage in Hebrews in the Hall of Faith, our, our hero is Jacob today, Hebrews eleven twenty one. It says, by faith, uh, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed the sons of Joseph. Remember, they came to his knees. 
uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh's over here, and Ephraim's over here. And old Jacob did one of these. He blessed them. And so his right hand went to Ephraim, and the, the youngest. And, you know, some people maybe read a little bit too much into it and say, well, there's the cross in the Old Testament. I don't know if we can go that far. But uh, certainly the cross is in the Old Testament, but I don't know if that's it. But he blessed Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And then it says that when he was dying, he worshipped, leaning on his staff. God changed Jacob from a worm to a prince. And God says in Isaiah 41, 14, oh, worm, Jacob. And then we read in Genesis 32, 28, you will no longer be called Jacob. You will be called Israel. And the name Israel means prince with God. A worm of a man became a prince with God. And he, because he learned to lean. And I think we can learn to lean too uh, by looking at the probably three stages of Jacob's life. You know, I say Jacob the wretched man, Jacob the wrestling man, and Jacob the worshiping man. So stage one, here we go. Jacob the wretched man. And some of you, even when I say wretched, you think, oh, Dave, you know, we don't want to lose our self-esteem. You know, that's humanism. We got to call a spade what a spade is. We're wretches. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the what? A wretch like me. Okay? Like we don't even be honest with ourselves. There is no one good. No one who does right. There's no one righteous. No one seeks after God. That's the gospel. We have to come to the end of ourselves. He was a wretched man. He was a worm. Jacob was a twister. He's like a wiggly worm. And the name Jacob means cheat. In our language, we'd say Jacob's a con artist. The name Jacob means liar, deceiver. And that's what the name Jacob means. Deceitful person with a character that twists like a worm. I call him Jake the snake. Jacob, the wretched man. And heredity was really against him. Remember last week we were talking about his mom and dad and his brother? You know? Remember in that Old Testament story, Jacob, he had a sensual father. He had a scheming mother. He had a sorrowful brother. Jacob was a wretched man. He lied to his father, Isaac. He double-crossed his brother, Esau. He tried to cheat his uncle, Laban. Folks, there are a few people in the Bible that would be more unlikable than Jacob. And yet, when Jacob was 70 years old, 70 years old, God made a prince out of this man, this wretched man. You see, God doesn't love us because we're valuable. We're valuable because he loves us. You see, God doesn't change us in order to love us. He loves us in order to change us. And that's exactly what God did with this wretched worm of a man, Jacob. And God turned this worm into a prince. And he came to have power with God and power with men. And let me tell you one redeeming factor that Jacob had down in his heart. I believe deep down in his heart. You know, God picked him before he was born, okay? Okay. But down in his heart, I think he had a hunger to know God. Oh, he failed. You know, that flesh nature was so strong. But down in this man's heart, I think, was an appreciation for spiritual things. Remember in Genesis 28, uh, God gave him that dream. He saw that ladder to heaven and angels going up and down. And, you know, it was that stairway to heaven. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? And and, and the name of the place was, was ended up being Bethel, you know, the house of God. And if you move to the New Testament, uh, John, the gospel writer of John, refers to that stairway, that ladder to heaven in John chapter 1 verse 51, almost saying that's Jesus. He's the ladder to heaven. He's the stairway to heaven. He's the gate to heaven. 
It was a prophetic, a word pointing to Jesus Christ. And so he had uh, an appreciation, I think, for spiritual things. Sure, he went about to get the he, he went about to get the birthright in the wrong way. But you know what? At least he wanted it. Esau didn't even want it. And that's the reason I think uh, God chose Jacob rather than Esau. God didn't choose Jacob for what he was, but he chose Jacob for what he knew he could make out of him. Because he, I think he had one redeeming factor, and that he had this hunger for God. He wanted to know God. I mean, do you, do you have a hunger for God? I mean, other people probably hated Jacob. And I don't believe anybody hated Jacob more than Jacob hated Jacob. I mean, can you identify with that? I mean, at night, I believe tears would come to Jacob's eyes. He'd say, oh, God, I need you. God, I want you. God, would you help me? And then the next day, he'd try to do it all by himself again. He'd get into another mess, and the next night, the same thing. And there's like this civil war going on inside of him. Can you identify with that? The civil war, sure, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against the flesh, and these are contrary, so you cannot do the things that you would do. And here was a wretched man. And folks, he finally had to admit it. And until he admits his wretchedness, God really couldn't do anything for him. You say, boy, he sure was bad. I'm glad I'm not like him. Such a wretched man. Say, do you think you're better than the Apostle Paul? I mean, listen to what the great Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7. I believe this was after he was saved. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. You see, God can't do anything with us until we see what we are, until we understand that we are wretched people without Christ. And folks, until we really understand that in us, that is, in our flesh, there is no good thing. We'll never become princes with God. We'll just stay worms, the worms that we are. And so here's Jacob, right? The wretched man, the worm. Jacob the worm. Jacob the, the, the schemer. Jacob the conniver. Jacob the con man. Jacob the liar. Jacob the double crosser. And yet Jacob, the man who wants to know God. Down in his heart of hearts, there's this longing to know God. And Jacob, I think he had a hunger for God. Do you have that hunger? I believe in every spiritual awakening, in every revival, if you look through history and how God moved in the first great evangelical awakening, the second great evangelical awakening, Azusa Street revival, whatever kind of revival there's been, there's always been people that were hungry for God because a prelude to any spiritual awakening is a huge prayer movement. People are seeking God, praying for God, begging God for revival and awakening. Thirsty. For God, hungry for God. Well, let's look at stage two of Jacob's life. Not only Jacob the wretched man, but also Jacob the wrestling man. Because he came to a place where he wrestled all night with God. It's, it's really kind of a strange story in the Bible. Look at verse 24 of Genesis 32. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now that's a strange story, isn't it? I mean... Who was this man that Jacob was wrestling with? You know, some say it's an angel. Some say, you know, what kind of an angel? Some say it was the angel of Jehovah. And who's the angel of Jehovah? I believe uh, that it was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I believe this is what some theologians would call a pre 
incarnate visit of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is God, right? He always was, is, and will be. A pre-incarnate visit of Jesus Christ to this planet. Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God. He came to earth in this form of an angel to wrestle with a man because Jesus had a plan for this guy named Jacob. And he knew that this plan could never be fulfilled till Jacob came to an end of himself. And I want you to see how God brought this man, how God brought this schemer, this conniver, this twister, this worm to the end of himself. And let's just call it uh, a three-step process. In a, in a wrestling match, at least in high school and college, it was like three periods. Uh, in the professional wrestling, you know, it was like rounds, like boxing, rounds. I'm just going to call it rounds. Round number one, you ready? Round number one. God brought him to a place of isolation. Look at verse 24 of Genesis 32. Jacob was left alone. I mean, that's one of the hardest things for God to do with some of us. Just to get us alone. You know, we're so busy, right? You know, TV is on, iPod, MP3, internet, video games, Netflix, radio's blaring. We're always doing, 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 doing. Active, 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 active. How you doing? I'm busy, I'm busy, you're busy, we're all busy. Some of us can't stand to be alone. Because if we get alone, we just might have to think. Amuse. You know what that means? In the Greek language... Two Greek words together, ah meaning no, muse meaning to think. So to amuse is not to think. You know, no thinking for me today. You know, I don't want to think. I don't want to be alone. You know, God finally got Jacob alone. And could these last eight weeks, did that do that for us? A place of isolation And God wants to get us alone so he can deal with us. And so here Jacob came, first of all, to this place of isolation. And then a place of isolation becomes a place of confrontation. That would be round number two. And it says in verse 24 that there wrestled with a man. A man wrestled with him. And it was there that I think Jacob really came to grips with deity. It was when he finally got alone in isolation that he came to confrontation. Now, when we often talk about Jacob wrestling with the angel, but that's not really the emphasis in this passage at all. The emphasis in this passage is that the angel was wrestling with Jacob, and it was God trying to do something really with this man to work in his life, and God is wrestling. God is wrestling, 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 trying to make something out of a worm. So you got isolation, confrontation, and then round number three, I just want to call desperation. Do you see what it says there in verse 24? Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Daybreak. I mean, what a match. What a match. That's a long wrestling match. That's a lot of overtimes. You know, they wrestled all night long and old Jake wouldn't say uncle. <laughs> he won't give up. He's obstinate, stubborn, strong-willed. He wants God, but he won't surrender to God. Have you ever been there? And there he is, wrestling with the Lord. And finally, the Lord says, you know, I hate to do this to you, Jake. But the Lord kind of reaches in and he touches the socket of his hip. He crippled him. God did that. And I think that makes him desperate. I mean, he was already desperate if you read read the chapters before this one. (laughs) You know, Esau, remember the brother that he double-crossed? He was coming after him. 
with blood in his eyes and Esau was angry. I'll tell you what, Esau was a man. (laughs) You talk about bulging biceps, I think Esau had them. He was something. And Esau's coming after him. And Jacob, he's a desperate man. And Jacob, I think, had one secret weapon. If everything else failed and if if Esau got there, he could at least still run. Now he can't even run. And the angel of the Lord reaches in and just touches the socket of his hip. And anyone that knows anything about wrestling knows a wrestler actually, uh, we depend upon our legs. And that's where this, our strength is. And, and now old Jake doesn't even have a leg to stand on, does he? And now he's in this place of desperation. You know, do you know who Hulk Hogan is? <laughs> He's a professional wrestler. I mean, he was real popular at one time. And, you know, I guess, you know, I've, I've read some things about him. He, he became a Christian when he was 14, I think. And uh, you know, he's had ups and downs. He has faults and flaws, just like you do. You know, but he's a believer. He claims Christ. And here's what he said about the last eight weeks. Old Hulk Hogan, the wrestler. <laughs> God has taken away everything we worship. Worship athletes, stadium's gone. Worship musicians, civic center's gone. Worship actors, theater's gone. Worship money, the economy, shot. Interesting perspective, isn't it? From a gregarious professional wrestler named Hulk Hogan. That's not his real name. The angel, after he cripples him, says, let me go. And the angel didn't want him to let him go. I mean, you've got to understand this. I mean, the Lord is saying in his heart, you know, I hope he doesn't. I mean, did you ever notice that about the Lord? Sometimes he wants us to want him to be here. I mean, do you remember on the road to Emmaus? Remember after Jesus' resurrection, before his ascension, he walked with those two on the road to Emmaus, and he explained the whole Old Testament to him, how it all pointed to him. And then in that story, listen, as he comes to their house, it says... Um, In verse 28 of Luke chapter 24, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus, in my NIV, it says, he acted as if he were going further. He was pretending, but they urged him stronger, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with him. And what the Lord wanted is he wanted them to want him. That's what he really wanted. Do you really want the Lord in your life? Do you really want the Lord of glory to call the shots in your life? Do we really want his presence? Do we really want his power? Do we really want his purity? Do we really want his passion? I mean, do we really, really want spiritual awakening? Do we really want revival? The Lord says, let me go. Hope he doesn't. Let me go. Hope he doesn't. Now look, look folks. You know that any, any angel, much less the Lord Jesus Christ, could get away from any mortal man if he really wanted to. That fight was fixed. And here the Lord says, let me go. Hope he doesn't. And Jacob came to that place of desperation. Where Jacob put his hands now on the Lord. And this time, no longer depending upon his scheming and his conniving, but this worm says to the Lord of glory, he says, I will not let you go except you bless me. And that's where the, 
where God wanted him all the time. And that's where he wants us. God brought him to this place for two reasons. God wanted to crush his resistance. And God wanted to cause his reliance. And God didn't want Jake uh, to resist, but just to cling to him. And to hold on to him and say, God, I can't depend on anything else anymore. I've got to rely on you. I've got to have you, God. It's that position that I was talking about at the beginning of this sermon. A position of hunger. It's a position of desperation. I read a book about 15 years ago called Desperate for His Presence by a lady named Rhonda Huey. Good book. What are you leaning on today? Is there a, a hip or a thigh in your life that God's going to have to touch? Maybe to get your attention? What are you leaning on other than the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, your good looks, your good works. God wants to crush your resistance. And God wants to cause your reliance. And God wants you to come to the place of brokenness where you say, God, without you, I'm just sunk. I can't do it without you. A broken and a contrite heart, you will not despise, oh God. That's what David prayed in Psalm 51, to say, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. I'm not going to let you go, God, unless you bless my church, unless you bless my family, bless my city. You know, I don't want you just to help me, God. I want you to take over my life, not just as resident, but as president. You've heard me say that a million times. So Jacob, the wretched man, Jacob, the wrestling man, and stage three in Jacob's life, I want to call Jacob the worshiping uh, man. And we come to that one passage in in God's hall of faith in verse 21 of Hebrews 11, where it says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed the sons of Joseph. Boom, right? Manasseh's here, Ephraim's here, went like that. But then while he was dying... He worshipped the Lord, leaning on the top of his staff. Why was he leaning on the top of his staff? Because the rest of his life, he had to have a staff to lean on. I mean, the rest of his life, old Jacob, he was a crippled man. He finally learned to lean. But when he, finally, when he learned to lean, he also learned to worship. And God crippled him that he might crown him. And he broke him that he might bless him. And it might seem cruel to you that God did that, but God didn't want to do that, I don't think. I think God would have blessed him a whole lot sooner had he been willing, had Jacob only said, Lord, you don't need to do this, you don't need to do this. I mean, you say, would a God of love do that, Dave? Would a God of love do that? Really? God loved Jacob so much, and he loves you so much that God wanted him to have the blessing, a blessing. Will parents let their kids have surgery even when it hurts? Yeah, Will parents give sometimes spankings even when it hurts? I say, I've been blessed many times by my parents. The Bible says, you know, whom the Father loves, he disciplines, right? If he really loves us, his kids, he's going to discipline us. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. How good God was to Jacob. That God finally brought Jake to the end of himself. That he might learn to lean on God and lean into God. And Jacob worshiped, leaning upon his staff. And look at Genesis 32, 27 and 28. It says, the man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. 
Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome no longer Jacob, but Israel. And he goes from the, what I call the name of shame to the hall of fame. God asked him, what is your name? Verse 27, I mean, don't you think... Don't you think God knew what his name was? I mean, really, this, the omniscient God doesn't know his name? Are you kidding me? It's like, you know, Adam, where are you? Do you think he didn't know where Adam was in, in Genesis? Are you kidding me? Of course he did. He wanted Adam to know where Adam was. And he wanted Jake to finally fess up and say, yeah, my name is Jacob. He wasn't asking for information. God wanted Jacob to admit who he was. And Jacob said, my name is Jacob. My name is liar. My name is twister. My name is conniver. My name is deceiver and double crosser. Glad to hear you say it, Jake. So glad we came to this place, Jake. It's about time you admitted it. And he finally came to that place saying, I have no confidence in the flesh. God, I'll not let you go except you bless me. And that's what God had been waiting for. And God says, now you're going to have a new name. Israel, Prince of God. And Jacob learned to lean. And I say, how great our God is in his sovereignty. He broke him to bless him. He crippled him to crown him. God humbled him to exalt him. You know, as a young man, we saw Jacob, you know, taking the blessing, right? But as an old man here in Hebrews, he is, we saw Jacob giving the blessing, right? And then as a young man, we saw Jacob, you know, wrestling with God. But then in Hebrews eleven twenty one, you know, we see him as an old man. We see Jacob, you know, as he was dying, leaning on his staff, he was worshiping God. He was wrestling with God. Now he's worshiping God. I mean, could it be that God is trying to bring you to this place this position of desperation. Do you ever wonder why that you're in the circumstances that you're in? Do you ever think God could change your circumstances? Of course he could. He's the sovereign almighty God. And I believe in God the Father almighty. I mean, but could it be that God is bringing you into circumstances like he brought Jacob? I believe God wanted Jacob to be with Laban. To get a dose of his own medicine. You know, a cheat cheating a cheat. Have you ever wondered why? You know, you have to be around uh, all these, so many irritable people. Maybe God wants you to go home and look in the mirror once. God was working on Jacob because of his love. Working on Jacob, working on Jacob to bring him to that right place, that right position. Calvary, God loves you so much that he might let something happen to you just to teach you to learn to lean on God and to lean into God. So let me make four brief applications, then we're going to be done. Application number one, failure is not final. You know, if you read through the Bible, we got a God of the God of the second chance. I mean, he's, he gives second chances, he gives third chances and fourth chances. And, you know, failure is not final. I mean, Jacob was a failure for 70 years. Think about that. I mean, I know God picked him before he was born, but he was a failure for 70 years. God made a prince out of that man. And you might be thinking you're a failure in God's eyes. You know, that you've blown it. 
that there is no hope for you, that God has just finished, finished with you. And that's, that's, a, that's a lie because failure is not final. You just take your life right now. You turn it over to God and God can make a prince out of you. You cannot go back and make a brand new start, my friend. But anyone can start from now and make a brand new end. Failure is not final. Another application, number two, learn to lean on God, learn to lean into God. I mean, if you're suffering or if you're in pain, whether it's been caused by your stubbornness or, or whether it's been, not been caused by your stubbornness, because not all God's people suffer because of stubbornness, but some of God's choicest saints suffering. For crying out loud, look at the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was chased by the Gentiles, chased by his own countrymen. He was shipwrecked at sea. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned and left for dead and whipped 39, with 39 lashes five times. You know, that's surely a, you know, a wonderful, happy life, isn't it? But in spite of it all, regardless of that, we need to learn to lean on God. We need to get a hold of God in our suffering. You know, I'll not let you go, God, unless you bless me. I'm speaking to some of you here today. You, you, there might be some with broken hearts or, 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 or broken dreams or broken homes, even though you live in the same house. Broken spirits. Learn to lean on Jesus. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. Learn to lean on God. Learn to lean into God. You remember Jacob? You know, he went into that wrestling match. You know, physically he was whole. And he came out a lame man. But even though he walked away with a crippled leg, he also had a humble heart. I mean, he was completely different. A different man. God had gotten the attention of Jacob and not only changed his nature, but he changed his name. And he was no longer known as Jacob but Israel, which means a prince with God. Failure is not final. Has God gotten our attention uh, during the last uh, few weeks? Does he have your attention? Are you learning to lean on God? Are you learning to lean uh, into God? Application number three, you could surrender right now. You know, if you're smart, you should save yourself a wrestling match. I mean, you don't have to wrestle all night long. That was a long match. You know, why go through all that? Are you hard-hearted? I mean, are you hard-headed, really? I mean, is God going to have to finally reach in? Is he going to have to cripple you? I mean, you could surrender right now. All you prodigals out there, if you're a prodigal, but you're still coming to church, but inside you're a prodigal, you're way away from God, you don't have to go all the way to the pig pen. You don't have to go to the bottom. You can turn around anytime. You can surrender to God right now. That's good news. And application number four, God wants your worship. That's what he really wants, isn't it? I mean, he wants us to love him and enjoy him forever. and He wants our worship. When all the dust is settled and all life is over, I think the one thing that will matter more than anything else is your worship of God. And in Hebrews 11... 21, by faith, when Jacob was dying, when he was dying, he was worshiping the Lord, leaning upon his staff. The only thing that really mattered is, matters is your relationship with the Lord. Someday you're going to die. And when you're lying there, dying, will you be worshiping the Lord in your hour of death? I mean, there's coming a time, uh, it might be sooner than you might realize, where you're going to meet the Lord. And here's old Jacob. He's 147 years old. 
you know, weak and worn in his body. And the Bible says when he was dying, he worshiped the Lord, leaning upon his staff. Have you learned to lean? You know, Calvary, why don't you just say to God today, you know, God, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. God wants your worship. Jesus said, remember in John chapter 4, that woman at the well, the Father is looking for worshipers. He's looking for them. Is he finding any? He's looking for people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And I believe, and you've heard me say this numerous times, there is coming a day. And it's called the great and terrible day in the Bible. It's great for those of us who believe, but it's terrible for those who do not. And I believe in this hour, the wind of God is blowing. I believe it's kind of like the mighty rushing wind of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, the winds of revival, the winds of spiritual awakening. Why? To purify the church, to prepare his bride for his soon return that we read about in Revelation chapter 19. And if you read Revelation chapter 19, what did the angel say to John the Revelator? What did he say? What did that angel say? The angel said, worship God. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's what the angel said to John the Revelator in John chapter 19. And I think God is making the crooked places straight. And I believe that God is making the Jacob places straight. And I believe that God wants us to want him more than anything or anyone else. He wants us to cling to the cross. He wants us to cling to Christ. He wants us to worship him and declare with people from every tongue, tribe, and nation that we belong to Jesus. And I will not let you go, God, unless you bless me. Jesus, you're all that we need. And Lord, I just uh, want to take time to pray right now before we sing a couple awesome old hymns, Lord, that I learned way back during that spiritual uh, awakening that you used in the late 60s and the 70s to bring me and my brother and my family to Christ, Lord. I feel like I was born in a furnace in the fire. God, I thank you that you, just through your grace, you have allowed me to burn ever since, even though I flickered. I know, Lord, there's been spiritual dry spells in my life, but I thank you, Lord, that you got a hold of me or I got a hold of you. However it works, God, I don't really understand. But I thank you, Lord, that you want us to want you. You want us to be desperate for you. You want us to love you with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. You want us to learn to lean into you, Jesus, and to lean on you, God. So I pray that you'd show us how to do that, Lord, that inside we would, we would have like a posture, like a, like a wrestling stance. We would be just ready to go. We would be in a position, Lord, to be desperate and hungry for you knowing that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. Lord, we just declared together as a congregation in this room and like maybe out in the foyer or maybe upstairs or certainly at home that we say we want to we wanna learn to lean on you, Jesus. That's the only safe place to be. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, and that's what we need to do. We just need to learn to lean on Jesus and not on ourselves. I mean, that's just the, the basic gospel, isn't it? 
We can't save ourselves. We can't live the Christian life on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn on God, lean on God, learn from Him. You know, we always quote uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't what? Lean not. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your paths straight. Let's leave here just leaning on the Lord. And who knows, maybe next week we'll double our numbers again. But that's not what it's about either. It's about worshiping Jesus. It's about being filled with His Holy Spirit. It's about doing His will. And sometimes God has to cripple us to crown us. Sometimes God has to break us to bless us. Sometimes God has to humble us to exalt us. And so just give your life to Him and just live your life in the power and in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a good day. A good week.